This episode of Seize the A is brought to you by Matrix. There is that fear of success in that you're more visible and there's that idea that you need to represent everyone. I never pretend to try to represent all of First Nations Australia, nor do I ever want to. I think that separation allows you to stay on track with your values and your values ultimately are the most important thing about joy. If you're not doing things that are tied to your values, then there's conflict and conflict is opposite to joy in my opinion. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. I only met today's guest in person recently, but we happen to share the same management, which basically makes us family. Very big shout out to Jen and her amazing team at Day Management. But I'd separately been a great admirer of this guest's work since long before then. Rachel Sara is a contemporary Aboriginal artist and designer from Gorongoran country, whose incredible work is a powerful tool for storytelling, change making, and spreading the very colourful yay. Crushing Right through the dot painting stereotype and challenging society's perception of Aboriginal art and identity, Rachel's style is uniquely energetic, engaging and full of bright colours. She pushes art to new boundaries from being projected onto the William Jolly Bridge to the packaging of some incredible brand collaborations like Matrix Hair, which you will hear all about, as well as The Body Shop and How We Roll Co, just to name a few. I found out, however, that she originally hoped to be the sixth Spice Girl until I planted a big fat NATA all over that. This was also my first time as an accidental killjoy and probably a hint at how much fun we had going off on random tangents between exploring her path yay to date. Rach is another great example that what you advocate for might not be trendy until one day it is, but the change makers among us are the ones who stick with it anyway. I love this woman and everything she's about, and I hope you do too. Rach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's so lovely to see you. I know. So good to see you, albeit virtually, but... (laughs) Great nonetheless. I feel like I'm getting a little bit of the northern sunshine through the screen, through your beautiful face. (laughs) I'll give you some through this interview. Hopefully it shines through. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll take what I can get at the moment. (laughs) Although I think about it all the time. Imagine going through this particular period of the earth without the internet. Like how lucky are we that it happened in the digital age where we could actually see other people's faces? Yeah, and honestly, imagine like a life without memes and (laughs) (laughs) we'd be lost. (laughs) I know, people are like, so how are you coping in round five? I'm like, well, psychologists, um, a lot of self-care and memes, really. (laughs) They're just pulling me right through this whole experience. (laughs) I'd just be like, please refer to this meme and that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. (laughs) 
like a love language. Do you know what? There's actually a meme about friendships where your relationship is just sending memes back and forth with like no commentary to each other. Yeah, like, yeah, wow. I, have a, I have a good few friendships that are solely maybe memes plus emojis. Yeah. But like no words. <laughs> no, I'm like a solid friendship is like memes and like time zone. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like that's a good love language too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh my God. So good. And Facebook memories of like the oh. glory days when we actually were like pretty and went out and put makeup on and like yeah. <laughs> made an effort in our life and went out past 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Except I have this like period of time where like 10 years ago, I used to put like everything on the internet and I would go through every day. I'm like, okay, I need to delete this one. I need to delete this one. <laughs> I do the same. I was actually talking about this at dinner last night. My mum was like, remember that time your old school friend, I ran into her on the street and she was like, oh, I saw a photo of Sarah on exchange and I think she was in a gutter. Like, how was she going? And I was like, <gasps> did I voluntarily put up that material on my own page? <laughs> Yes, I think I did. And I had to go back and like delete the album. I was like, why would I put that up there? I know. It's I like have view by only me. So I'm like, I know how far I've come, but like, let's not go back there publicly. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. You don't want to delete the memories because they're kind of funny. Yeah. But like, maybe you don't want everyone in the world seeing them. them. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that is actually a lovely place to start. (laughs) I start every episode by asking what the most down to earth thing is about our guest to break through what is often a very surface level projected identity through social media Mm -hmm. or through you know the amazing achievements that of which you have many but what is something that you would say other than your period of putting lots of random things on the internet (laughs) is really relatable about you (laughs) relatable about me I when Jen sent me this question I was like damn I would like to think lots of me is down to earth and if not I feel like my social anxiety knocks me down a few rungs if I get too ahead of myself (laughs) but honestly I feel like for me, like a lot of what I put out on the internet is truly me and I don't try to be something else. So yeah, everything you see pretty much is me, I would say, which is probably not I the best that. answer, but <laughs> I think it's a great answer, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a hard one. Like it's weird. It's easy for someone else maybe to yes. describe what's down to earth about you. And it's weird when you get uh, like, I know it's a weird question to start with and often kind of hard to answer about yourself, but I think it's nice to reflect on what, you know, other people might call out different things, but what you actually think is really normal or relatable or human about you might be something different. So I always like to, even if it's the first time you might've reflected on it, it's really nice that you don't think there is much that isn't the you that people see that isn't also how you are normally. Yeah. Well, I feel like every time I open up Bumble and have to refresh my profile again, I'm like, (laughs) who am I? (laughs) Why am I still single? (laughs) Well, that in itself is pretty natural. (laughs) But do you know what I also think is really interesting? And this is why I love the first section, your way TA, which is where we go through all the chapters before the one that most of the people walk in on and meet you now, sort of Mm -hmm. seeing that you have a clear direction and a purpose and passion and you know, you know what you love and you know what you don't love is that we didn't all start necessarily being comfortable enough with ourselves to be exactly who we are on socials or to... You know, I think we get pulled in all different directions and spend a lot of our lives pretending to be someone else. Mm. So take us back to the very, very beginning, because I think in childhood we start pretty unfiltered before we let lots of different, you know, expectations and norms and 
you know, yeah. judgment and fear change who we are? What was young Rachel like growing up in Queensland? And, you know, what was school you like? What were the ideas of your future back then? I kind of believe there were like three careers that existed ever. Yeah. What, what was your idea of, of career and future and what you wanted to be? I mean, I was convinced I was going to be a Spice Girl for a very long time. <gasps> Good one. <laughs> like, you can, so my dad, he used to like work away for a while. Like he'd be away for a few months on, like at a time. And at the time there used to be these little Spice Girl books and like Spice Girl Impulse, like perfume and all of oh these. Oh my God, Impulse. Yeah. Like all of like <laughs> all of these different like iconic nineties products just had Spice Girls branded all over them. So he'd bring home like little Spice Girl like memorabilia for me and I was just convinced I'd be a Spice Girl. But again, having <laughs> having older brothers kind of knocked me down a few pegs. I used to sing everything. Like I'd narrate my life by singing around the house and my older brother would be like, can you just shut up? Like, that's so annoying. <laughs> so I think from a young age, I was very self-expressive in a way that was different to how you normally would be. Um, but yeah, I was convinced mm. I was going to be a Spice Girl for a very long time. I still have photos of like me with all the Spice Girl get up. But yeah, I guess I clung to that for a while <laughs> Maybe, when did the bubble burst I when mean, you realized that unfortunately there's already five they're probably not going to audition anyone else honestly I mean that's the only barrier there were no other barriers obviously they would have taken you if there was a spot I mean I feel like just now you've burst my bubble it was really, it was really <laughs> no. full for a while <laughs> no. baby you can be anything you want to be you can absolutely be a Spice Girl <laughs> no honestly I can't sing I've come to that conclusion so that kind of burst maybe when I was like I want to say even as late as 12 like that sounds really bad but like they were still <laughs> very cool at that stage but then I don't know I feel like I was cool but not cool like I thought I was like cool but then <laughs> there was I look back and I'm like nah definitely not I was a pretty like a pretty big dork like I played sport a lot of my childhood so I was very sporty and a bit tomboyish. But yeah, I think I can't even explain me as a child because it feels like too close to like, again, have that like view of yourself. Like, and I feel like from a young age, we don't have those skills to kind of reflect on. And then we kind yeah. of lose our memories a little bit. Yeah. But definitely there was always this idea that I never felt like I belonged a hundred percent in any area. Like I'd probably describe myself as a bit of a floater amongst friend groups as well. So I would kind of go to places that would burst up my energy for short amount of times. And then I'd kind of go to a few other places. And I don't know if that's like the Gemini in me, but yeah, <laughs> I felt like I was always searching for like somewhere to belong and feel myself. So that's like, little Rachel I guess oh little Rachel <laughs> I think that's a lot of people's experience as well when they're younger like there's obviously a lot of people in the category of I watched a show when I was younger I saw a stethoscope and that was it I wanted to be a doctor and then I went you know doctor 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 and now I'm a doctor and yeah I think that the vast majority of us on the other hand see other kids like that and don't feel so drawn to one particular thing and then sort of get a bit confused why we don't have a clear passion or a clear pathway and yeah. then 
get a bit lost in that whole process. And what I think is really interesting for our listeners is that because you did end up going into the arts, I think that's something people would love to hear about how you got there because it is generally something that when you're younger, you don't actually believe could be a career because it's too fun or because it's not a conventional pathway. It's not obvious how you would end up there. And I'm sure it wasn't an overnight success and an easy, smooth pathway (laughs) either. But but before we get into sort of that stage, because I love looking at that kind of high school, like Ipswich Girls Grammar to then choosing your Bachelor of VizCom. Like I'm fascinated by when you decided to make career decisions rather than just I want to do this because I love it decisions. Yeah. But firstly, on that note of belonging, I think that's really interesting as well because with your Aboriginal heritage, I imagine that was also part of your younger childhood experience of wondering where you fit in and in a time where we were probably a little bit further behind the eight ball than we are now in terms of diversity and inclusivity, which I had in primary school as well. So can you talk to us about that and growing up on Gorongoran country and how that's been part of your identity? Well, the interesting thing is I actually never grew up on country. So I've kind of grown up in Ipswich, which is kind of like Yuggera Jagera country. So for me, there was always like a distance between that cultural connection. Yeah. And I think my dad did a really good job of protecting us in a way. And, you know, for a long time, I got to celebrate just the beautiful things of my culture as a light-skinned Aboriginal woman. You know, I could exist in this cultural lens without visibly sticking out, which is something that, you know, I do grapple with even today. But, you know, I always knew I was Aboriginal. I always knew I was proud to be Aboriginal. I always knew my dad loves his culture But there was just something that I never felt like I could see myself reflected in the environments that I was in. And, you know, having a bit of a separation from my cousins who were growing up on country and, you know, my grandma lived on country as well. So, and as well as kind of being so involved in sport, which I still, I think I'm thankful for because it gave me a lot of life skills. But what it meant was I was a very busy child, so I, I struggled to get back <laughs> on country. Um, so yeah. I feel like for me there was that sense of belonging in my direct family group, but there was this uneasiness and this, I guess, emptiness being away from country. And, you know, it's just it's a, like it's not necessarily a physical thing, but it's this energy and this spiritual kind of, ease that you feel when you're back on country so to live off country and to have that disconnection you know from family from my grandma it was something that I didn't understand at a young age and it's probably more so now that I've understood the impacts that it's had on me but it's also something that has created a drive in me as well to kind of be who I needed when I was younger and kind of invite other mob in to kind of you know, come to terms with, unfortunately, colonization happened and um, we are still grappling with the the outcome of that. And not everyone's going to have the privilege of knowing their language, living on country, knowing their customs. Mm. And so for me, like how I belonged in that narrative and in that story was, yeah, trying to be someone who I needed when I was younger and kind of inviting people into those conversations. 
Oh my gosh. And you've done such an incredible job at helping share the way you're grappling with your own narrative and coming into that identity and then sharing it with others, but becoming also a really vocal spokesperson for how to redress the inequalities of the past and ways forward and using your artwork as a beautiful expression. And again, I think it would be very easy for people who only met you now to think, oh, well, she obviously grew up in country and has always been comfortable with her identity Mm. and knows exactly who she is. (laughs) But it's always so fascinating to hear that, of course, it never happens that way. And yeah, but I think it's reassuring to others who are maybe feeling a little bit lost earlier in their journey that you can get to a position where you feel more comfortable to speak about it and yeah. more comfortable to find where your voice will hit the most effectively in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So when did art then become the way that you wanted to express yourself? Because again, I think it's very, very encouraged when we're younger, but then when it's like you have to have a job now, yeah. a lot of creatives sort of lose sight of the fact that they could keep going with their art. But I love that you studied VizCom, so you must have had it in your mind that it was your career path. Is that what you sort of had in your head back then? I mean, I still feel like there's a little part of me holding on to being a Spice Girl. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry. I like, I'm supposed to be <laughs> spreading joy and I just like, nay TA right there in the Cut first three minutes. <laughs> I know, I'm such a bitch. <laughs> no, I feel like, what was the question again? I got distracted trying to be a Spice Girl. <laughs> when did you decide on VizCom? Did you ever go through that phase at school where you went from like, this is what I love doing, but then... I think something switches in like year 10 or 11 where you're like, oh, no, this is what I have to do yeah, and this is how I'm going to make a career out of it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think like one of the hardest things to understand is like this idea of like and this image that society has kind of placed on us that, you know, there's this starving artist kind of narrative that happens. (laughs) So for a very long time I kind of had a bit of friction towards pursuing that career, thinking that, you know, My goal in life is to be financially free so I didn't have to depend on structures that have proven to oppress us for so long. Mm. But I think for me, there's two moments I feel like. One I kind of reflect on is understanding that being different is a good thing. And that happened in in grade seven. We had this art project where we had to do a (gasps) self-portrait. Yeah, fun, right? Wow. And in that project we kind of did it over the course of a few weeks but then they were all kind of displayed in our undercover area where you have lunch in primary school mm-hmm. but sorry I got distracted because my dogs just walked past I'm like how did you get outside <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> just sitting in the sun basking in like oh the my vitamin God, D so good Oh, what a healthy little boy. Yeah. Paul's just like, mate, look at this. In He's bed. like, excuse me, can you please send me some vitamin D? I'm not doing too well with my mental health. Look at him. Poor thing. <laughs> it's so distracting. <laughs> I'm like, dogs. <laughs> no, but I think when they were kind of displayed in this undercover area, you saw like this traditional way of thinking of self-portraits. You know, you had skin color which at the time was very limited and there wasn't a lot of diversity in primary school (laughs) but you know there was the classic shape of your eyes and nose and mouth and ears so classic features that you would kind of if you were to look in the mirror for most people you would see reflected but for me it was kind of more like 
I still have this artwork to this day, actually. <gasps> That's amazing. Yeah, I kind of have held on to it as like a remember that feeling and like keep it with you. But yeah, yeah for me, it was more like organic movement of the of the line work, colour. And on one side I had, you know, warmer colours and then cooler colours on the other side to kind of, I guess, portray the fact that I am a mixed-race Aboriginal woman and, you know, I do have different sides to myself and I don't see myself as reflected in this community. So instead I'm going to create something that I feel really passionate about and I feel a lot of joy from it. So that was probably one of the moments where I knew I loved art and I loved that it had a role in my narrative by creating an environment that didn't necessarily exist but that I could kind of develop and create and manipulate in a way that reflected my journey and my my being and experiences I guess. And then in high school I was really fortunate to have a really great art teacher Mrs Mays till this day we're still you know in contact and oh that's so sweet yeah she's so great and I feel like we really underestimate the role that teachers can play on absolutely like our futures you know like Mm. if you're in an environment where you feel safe and you feel like you can express yourself and explore your identity and you know your thoughts in a way that you're not criticized and I think for me particularly because you know, in maths and science, you have answers that you need to reach. You have destinations that you need to get to. Whereas with art, there was a freedom to it. And there was, I guess, a subjectiveness that allowed me to, again, create something that I believed in and that I could see myself in that, you know, the person next to me might not have been able to create or seen themselves. So that to me was, I guess it was this energy that I felt when creating art and a freedom that I felt that really made me want to do this for the rest of my life, I guess. <gasps> yeah. But then kind of you go into university and you kind of in those structures again. So it's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a battle every day, but yeah, those two moments are probably key points. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps <laughs> from just thinking about you having that revelation of like, this is what I want to go forth in the world and do. And I love that reminder too, that even once you have that aha moment, which takes a lot of people a lot longer to actually get to, you still do have to spend a little bit of time before it manifests the way you want to. Yeah. Like you do have to go, you had to go to uni and then you had to do a few, you know, work as a designer at a mm-hmm. couple of places in structures before, you know, you were ready for the chapter where you could go freelance in 2017. And then it's been obviously like quite a few years since then. And I think it's really interesting that, I was talking to, you know, Flex. Yes, love. On her episode, yeah, love, obsessed. We talked a lot about the idea that it's not cool to be doing something different and unique until it is. Yeah. And so even though you had that revelation, like back then, the world might not have been ready and maybe you weren't ready to deliver it the way you are now. Mm-hmm back then. So I think we're really impatient to get to the end. Like you said, there's always answers. We always want to be like, okay, this is my passion. I know I want to be an artist and now I want to wake up tomorrow and be an artist. Yeah. But like you had to go through all those little steps to sort of figure out what kind of artist and what was your audience and what mm-hmm. what was going to translate and what's your style and what are your colors? And I just, that comes back to me all the time. The idea that what you're doing isn't going to necessarily hit the audience you want it to until the day that it does. And yeah. it's like, you, you might get 
criticism or doubters or haters or whatever until the day that suddenly everyone wakes up to like, oh, that is what she's here for. That is what she's doing. And now you're everywhere. But (laughs) it didn't start that way. That's my point, which I think is always important to remember. So what did then get you to the point where you were like, I'm going to freelance. I'm going to be an artist, not just do art. It's not just my passion, but this is going to be what I do. And then how do you think you've been able to create what you have such an incredible community. I mean, we've, you know, our co-ambassadors as part of this amazing matrix hair range, you literally have designed the packaging. That is unbelievable. (laughs) Your work has been projected on a bridge, like blows my mind. You know, I don't even, I can't even imagine how that feels. Like what's the gap in between that aha moment and then these highlights? A lot of late nights and tears and <laughs> warm Epsom salt bars. <gasps> yes. But I think it's like a really important question to kind of get into because looking back, I think it's where I shifted from being complacent in a salary job to really going for it and investing in myself. And I guess it's also a time that I look back on not so fondly as well and one that still brings a lot of kind of stress and anxiety. And I guess you can look at it from the perspective that I'm glad it happened because look at me now. But yeah, so I guess I went from university. To be honest, I never went to university. Like, I mean, I did, but I lost 10% attendance marks (laughs) for most subjects because... At the time, I was still kind of playing sport pretty competitively and, you know, time poor. And there's part of me that still didn't find that passion in university. I think like school, I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. I know what I want to do. But then getting there, you're kind of taken back to reality that there's sometimes steps you need to go through that aren't as glamorous as they sound. And that definitely was my university degree, mostly because there was still something missing. I had all the skills. I had all the programs that I needed, but there was that like desire and passion that wasn't within me. And I think that's because culture and identity was separate to a university degree. It was very much kind of like based on art history that didn't represent me in any way. So there was, I guess, a moment there where I was like, oh, is this actually what I want to do? But it was after that that I kind of got out and got a few jobs. I remember getting fired from my first job four weeks into it. And I was like, oh, Oh, but that was a good thing because I hated it and, you know, resilience. (laughs) And all that jazz. What we tell ourselves will make us feel better. And then I kind of went into an agency job that was an Aboriginal-owned Indigenous agency. And, you know, at the time I was still quite young and, you know, had a lot to learn and they kind of went more down an entertainment path rather than what I really was passionate about. Um, And so I decided to kind of quit my job. It's funny because I just bought a new car. So I had like car finance. So I was like, okay, I need to find a job to pay for this car loan. Like that's my driver at the moment. I just need to be out to pay for this car loan. And that's what was keeping me in that job for so long. But then it just got to the point where you can feel an energy shift and like bugs you down a little bit. And so anyway, I quit my job. A week later, I booked a trip to Bali with one of my good friends and like had this like change of energy, <laughs> like all of this sort of thing. And I was like, yes, I'm going to go work for myself. It's going to be amazing, blah, blah, blah. 
Two weeks later, <gasps> cue myself taking another salary job in another oh, no. <laughs> another Indigenous creative agency. And I was there for like three years, I think. And, you know, that moment I learned a lot and I kind of learned a lot about business as well because I was kind of like a sponge where although people think you're a designer, you shouldn't be listening to like the project managers and what they're doing. I always knew I wanted to run my own business at some point. So I very much like absorbed all of that kind of energy around. But it kind of just got to a moment where I felt like I was drowning. I felt like there was a dark cloud around me again. And the same feeling that I felt before I kind of quit my job and went to Bali. And it kind Mm. of, it comes down to the environment that you're working with and the personalities that you work with and like different dynamics, but I just couldn't feel like I could grow any further. You know, I'd put myself out there and I'd be met with resistance. And, you know, at the time, like I said, there was a lot of nights where I'd cry and I'd feel, you know, really lost and bogged down in this feeling. But it got to a point where that kind of became the driving force. You know, I started creating work for myself and posting it on Instagram, which was, you know, shifting my energy. It was just creating something that you know, I felt like I really enjoyed and what I wanted to hear and what I needed to hear of myself. And it just kind of gained a lot of traction. And, you know, it's that moment where you mentioned, yeah, like you can be different, but people might not be ready for different. And I feel like I was lucky in the way that when I did choose to kind of put work out there, people were beginning to be a little bit hungrier for, you know, culture and stuff like that. So... (gasps) Yeah, I kind of decided then, you know, at the time I didn't think I was going to quit my job. I was trying to be safe. I was like, I just want to go down to four days a week and, you know, start building up that side hustle because, you know, it's crazy for me to just completely cut like my whole salary out and go for, you know, myself. But it kind of got to the point where I had no choice but to quit my job and like fully invest in myself. And it just happened that yeah, there was that hunger and, you know, four years down the track, we're meeting at Matrix and those exciting kind of collaborations and co-ambassador roles are kind of now happening. Oh my gosh, it just (laughs) makes me so excited. (laughs) Like it just makes me so, I don't know, there's a fire in my belly just hearing these stories because I know that there are so many people out there who are sitting in maybe your pre-Bali chapter and just thinking like, when is it ever going to work for me? Like are the dots all going to start to connect? And it just, it's such a reassurance to know that you had to go through that. You do have to go through a couple of twists and turns and I don't think you would look back and regret them, even if you didn't want to stay there forever. Like you'd learn something from everything. And like you said, something felt like it was missing. That's usually a jigsaw puzzle piece. And the only reason you knew what to go and like go after was because you knew what you didn't want. And it takes you time to figure that stuff out. So I love going through that. And I think when you did get to that stage where it just the push was so relentless and you realized like the timing was right now, even if the first like Bali chapter wasn't the right time, the second time around, it's so exciting that, you know, I think when self-doubt does come, obviously when you go and do any big jump in your life, self-doubt is usually the first reaction we have and that can cripple you almost to the point where most people wouldn't go ahead and do it. But I think the quote I love is that, if you were to be let yourself doubt stop you from 
going freelance when you did, it would actually be selfish because all the people who have since looked out into the world and seen themselves represented in what you do so that they don't ever have to feel like you did Absolutely. back in the day when you didn't feel like there was any representation, they wouldn't have had that. You would have deprived them of what you yeah. bring that's unique to the landscape. And it's, <laughs> oh, it just makes me so excited that you push through and now you are out there. Like, you know, Jess Vandalay, who is one of our other co-matrix ambassadors i was talking with her yesterday about this wonderful wonderful mm. new rebrand of matrix and how all of us yeah and clem's the same as a you know one of the first trans models to really make waves in the industry i think all of us look back at the beauty industry when we were younger and remember just going where do i fit yeah like not that you know the typical aussie beach bum surfy girl wasn't part of australia it's just that it wasn't our part of Australia and it's so exciting to yeah. remember that feeling and now look around and see yeah. us everywhere it's like yes <laughs> I always look at like Matrix so fondly as well because like obviously we met during that shoot and you know like you said like having beauty products that kind of are for all humans you know and all hair types or all skin colors you know it's so important to have that representation but also have that follow-through of you know, really important impact and really important access to products at a price that's affordable. And, you know, that for me is like why I do what I do now as well. And, you know, I also love like the fact that, you know, big brands like Matrix kind of embracing culture. And I had the opportunity to, you know, have my artwork on their products, which is amazing. <gasps> I know it's exciting. I'm so excited for you. It's so exciting. <laughs> I know it's like just, it's beautiful to have that representation in mainstream. But you know, like I say, mainstream like representation is one thing. But like I always strive to do more than just that representation. And you know, I look back on you know Matrix as a benchmark that I want to hit a lot of the times. I was really lucky that Matrix did donate you know, $10,000 to Sisters Inside, which is a Brisbane local organisation that work for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and families who are criminalised. And, you know, representation's not what we need to reach necessarily, but it's just kind of a rung that needs to exist as core business. And it's that follow through of, mm. you know, putting your money where your mouth is and your action where your mouth is as well, because, yeah, that's how I feel like, we can create genuine change for all of us. And I think what's been so exciting in the last couple of years is that what starts as tokenism, which mm -hmm. is obviously not ideal, but it's better than nothing. And I think in the spectrum of change, that's how it sort of starts. So it's a good indicator yeah. of change on a spectrum. But I think we've started to move beyond that now where it isn't just your token Asian or your token Aboriginal person in campaigns. It's like inbuilt into, like, I love that, the Matrix products are incredible and like we've all been using them. My hair feels better than it ever has with like the 20 in one spray is just my absolute favorite. <laughs> it's 20 in one. Like I'm a busy gal. It's amazing. <laughs> but I love that like not that much has been about the product. Like it's been yeah. so much more about the story and the personalities and our backgrounds and Absolutely. the heritage. And it's like, it's, I'm like, is this happening? Like, is this the yeah. industry? This is so exciting. Yeah. And it's such a special moment to be, you know, part of that journey as well, because, you know, it's brands that we knew and we saw growing up and it's like, wow, like, <laughs> honestly, it leaves you kind of speechless for a while. And, and I think that's probably why we were so both excited to, 
be, you know, co-ambassadors and with Jess as well, our other day sister. <gasps> um, <laughs> but honestly, it's just like it makes you wonder why more businesses aren't doing that because mm. Australia in particular is very multicultural and for a long time we weren't seen as that and it's such a special thing to be able to celebrate and to do that within brands like Matrix and like to represent Australia so uniquely is like so powerful and it just boggles my mind why more people don't do it. I know, but I'm so excited to see brands as big as Matrix setting such a good example because I think like it's amazing that boutique businesses start there because they have much more choice. They might not have as many big stakeholders and all that kind of thing. But for someone under the L'Oreal branch to actually go and to rethink a whole campaign is like this is good this is example setting and also huge yeah. huge shout out to our management team at day management and genevieve yeah. day who represents <laughs> three of the four matrix ambassadors and <laughs> makes this work possible and makes these big partnerships possible for us it's yeah, yeah. huge shout out to Amazing. you guys we love you so much <laughs> <laughs> but like that's such a good point as well like having people who have the same values and the same kind of standards that you want to meet like having worked with Jen for like a year I I feel culturally safe with Jen and I feel <gasps> culturally safe with like the Matrix team and you know that's such an important aspect of being able to do what we do is that cultural safety and you know having people around you that will go into the trenches for you. Mm, I totally agree. And to be able to, in a really commercially driven world, and you know I talk all the time about success versus happiness and values versus just wealth and more and all that kind of, you know, those important distinctions we're starting to make. Mm. It's so valuable to know that your career isn't going to be jeopardized if you put your foot down on the things that you're like, I won't cross that line or that's where my values are and I won't align with anything else. You know, once upon a time I would have yeah. been horrified and so scared to say no in case like yeah. I didn't have a job the next day. <laughs> but like someone exactly. who allows you to build confidence that what you're doing is worthy and valuable and is mm. like won't fall over tomorrow if you don't like bow to, you know, the masses. It's, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick break to give one of our amazing partners in Yay, Matrix, a little shout out and a very big thank you for making this episode possible. You may have seen some fabulous, very fun and colourful content coming out of our photo shoot from earlier in the year. Yep, that one where I got bangs, <laughs> which kicked off this heritage brand's groundbreaking brand refresh and relaunch to better embrace beauty and, of course, hair of all kinds. I'm so, so thrilled to join fellow ambassadors, Rachel Sarah, who you'll be hearing from, Jess Vandelay and AJ Clementine on the Matrix Australia squad, particularly since we all share a common experience for unique reasons of feeling unrepresented in the beauty industry. It is so exciting to see the gradual shift towards diversity and inclusion in beauty, media and all kinds of industries. With these values underlying the relaunched brand, I'm even more in love with the product range that offers something for every hair need. I mean, just look at the four of us and how different our hair is to each other. It's available in Matrix salons and online. My hot tip, the Total Results Miracle Creator Spray. It's a 20 in one covering just about everything I've ever wanted for my hair, but compatibly with my on-the-go jam-packed lifestyle. I'll pop the link in the show notes. You are welcome. 
from an artist perspective, because I also love to like dive really into niche communities that I know nothing about, you have <laughs> so many different mediums now, like a bridge firstly, projection onto mm-hmm. a bridge is one amazing medium that you have now conquered packaging design, but also actual prints. And like what from your development as an artist have been your favorite materials to use or what is your preferred method of creating artwork? Like I love how your colors are really warm and pinks and oranges. Like how do you figure out what kind of an artist you are in that sense? Yeah. I think it's kind of important to note that through university, I did do, you know, a bachelor of design, visual communication design. So like that was very heavily digital base and graphic designer type role. Over the years, I've kind of morphed that into what I want it to be and taking it different places. So I feel most comfortable working digitally because that is what I'm trained with. But working digitally also allows me to kind of take my work to those different mediums so I can project it onto a bridge. I can wrap it, I can wrap it on a bus. I can put it on packaging. So like, There's that flexibility to kind of take it anywhere that the world wants to see it. But I think there is also something special about putting, you know, paint to canvas and kind of feeling that movement of the colour and the texture. Just sucks that it takes more to clean up than digital. But (laughs) um, I think it's like it's beautiful to have that diversity with my practice and something that I really love is kind of taking my art different places. Can you hear that plane coming over? I actually can't. Usually I can, but there's always some kind of background noise. It's raining really heavily here. So I was like, can you hear the rain on the roof? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> Good. <laughs> We're working from home, everybody, okay? <laughs> I hope the bin man doesn't come. <laughs> I had a jackhammer out the front the other day. I was like, mate, oh, God. this is sees the... Can you not see that this is HQ <laughs> in my pyjamas through the window? Are you supposed to be in lockdown? I know. <laughs> Sorry, back. So yeah, I guess the different mediums of like my art and like having the foundation of digital work is really powerful to kind of take it places. And yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I have been so successful is because I do have that foundation of, you know, a a degree and the skills and I guess the practicality of having a design degree and graphic design degree, but then being able to morph it into something that works for me and I think that's the drive that you need is like that passion to take it somewhere other than what you've learned like there's something in certain people that if you are a business owner or an artist you just have something different to other people that gives you that drive to take it somewhere you know Mm -hmm. like I think it's that idea that because there aren't preconceived ideas of answers that you need to meet or places you need to go it's that that bubbling energy underneath the surface that kind of comes alive I think one of the things that's also really interesting in your case is because like similar to I was chatting about with flex that when you are doing something that does push things outside the boundaries and there isn't really a clear structure to follow a pathway because no one's really done it before and digital hasn't been as flexible to allow artwork to go as far and wide as it has now is that the grounds for self-doubt and comparison and also not just doubt from yourself but from others as well is probably mm-hmm. more fertile than it ever has been. Yeah. How has that 
played out for you in developing such a unique style? Because you do have to do it against, as you mentioned before, resistance. There is always resistance to the first few mm. people who do something differently. And this section is called NATA because I think it's as important, if not more so, to talk about the harder areas of resistance on the way to your joy mm -hmm. than the easy ones. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as Aboriginal people, we have this reference that we refer to and it's this idea of walking in two worlds. So it's, you know, walking <sighs> in this westernised world where these structures exist that have, you know, been put in place to oppress us and have been in place to keep us down and keep us in this place where we can't be successful in this area. But then we also have a foot in our, you know, our cultural world and really embracing our heritage and our identity and, you know, the customs and law that has made us the longest continuing culture in the world. Um, but growing my business, I've kind of started thinking of that as, you know, walking in three worlds because social media today is such yes. a huge aspect of where we exist. And it's difficult, you know, like I think having that conflict and grappling with your identity and then having this social media or a tool that grants people access to you. And, you know, yeah. I, I did mention I do put a lot of myself out there, a lot of my work out there. And, you know, my business growth, I put it down to being able to use Instagram for beneficial ways. But it's that access that people and that audacity that people think that they know you better than you know yourself or that expectations that you place on other people that you may not know because you have a phone and you have social media, you have Instagram, mm -hmm. TikTok, Twitter. So I think like those moments where you are met with resistance, it, it can be quite crippling and it can, it can put a lot of fear in you. But also like we talk about that idea of fear and fear of failure, but growing like my business, no one really talks about that fear of success as well. Like I feel like for some for some, you you feel comfortable in failing because you know you can just get up and do it again. But when you start kind of ticking boxes and, you know, having successful projects and, you know, successful interviews, collaborations, there is that fear of success in yeah, that totally. you're more visible and there's that idea that you need to represent everyone and that's very much not what I set out to do. I never pretend to try to represent all of First Nations Australia, nor do I ever want to. But it's having that confidence to say, you know, this is who I am, this is my story, but it's one of many stories that make up our nation. And I think that's some of the hardest things that you kind of have to come to terms with. Oh my gosh, fear of success is such a good point because there is such a, a renewed emphasis in conversation on fear of failure and why failure is a, you know, an opportunity for learning and like it's becoming mm -hmm. much less stigmatized. But fear of success is this next step that I, yeah, you're so right. It's as crippling, but people don't talk about it as much because it does draw a lot more access. It does draw more criticism. It does draw, yeah, so much spotlight on every single little thing you're doing. And I imagine that like, I, I can't even remember who I was talking about, but I recently came back. I think you know, I was trekking the Lara Pinta Trail, which was yes, amazing, absolutely incredible. And, and to do it with the elders whose family were from that part of country was just, it was mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned so much firstly about, you know, he's like, literally everyone just comes up to me and he's like, can you play the didgeridoo? 
And that's not even from my culture. Like that's <laughs> not even from <laughs> my yeah. people. I don't know how to play. I can play yeah. other instruments, which you probably never heard of. But I was like, wow, yeah, people are really ignorant. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, yeah, he was part of the stolen generation and was uh, came to school in mm-hmm. Melbourne and did feel like had quite an identity crisis when he was assimilated and then got told, you know, that he wasn't Aboriginal enough. And he's like, well, what am I? Like either mm-hmm. I'm not Australian enough or I'm not Indigenous enough. Like what? Like I can't, you can't win, which made him realise actually you're never going to please yeah. everyone, particularly in a conversation where our First Nations people, I think people mistake them as one language, one culture, whereas it's like, 20,000 languages, so many different cultures, different rules, different tribes. Like, you know, I think people expect you to be one identity even within your half Aboriginal or mixed Aboriginal heritage. And it's you're doing a wonderful job at, I think, helping change that dialogue. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's something that we all grapple with because, you know, we are so diverse and we do have to try to exist in certain structures just because of, how society is taken and you know if we did have more autonomy over the land then maybe we could implement more of our traditional kind of customs and explore health benefits of that but that we're still kind of in a moment where there is so much friction. Do you ever get people because your artwork does sometimes draw on you know the dots details and like flowing kind of like, do you ever get people criticizing that it's not dot painting enough? I know that's like such a weird thing to say, but I imagine yeah. the internet will come at you with pretty much anything, yeah. like just yeah. out of curiosity. Like, do you get criticisms like that? Yeah. And I think for me, I always say that I am a contemporary First Nations artist because, you know, although a lot of it is drawn on my heritage, it isn't implemented in a way that is traditional art yeah. and you know you mentioned the didgeridoo or the yadaki and and dot painting all of those things come from certain parts of Australia and you know not all communities have the right or the ownership over those things and being an east coast artist yes there is you know some dot artwork it's not necessarily part of our area so I do get criticized on one hand that you know, my artwork isn't Aboriginal enough or, you know, I remember being on top of a 26-metre-high scissor lift painting a mural in the middle of Ipswich with <gasps> Gus Eagleton who was helping me and we posted some things on Facebook and, you know, people were like, she's not Aboriginal, she's too wide and or oh. that's not Aboriginal, there's not enough dots or <laughs> those sorts of things. And my favourite was like, oh, that's not that good. My three-year-old son could do that. And I was like, okay, well, I would like your three-year-old son to go spend $1,000 getting a scissor lift license, going up 26 metres and painting it for 13 days straight. But, you know, oh that's fine. Oh, my fucking... gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, the oh internet gives lovely things, lovely feedback. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny. I mean, they'll always be like, that's the thing I'm coming to terms with is you really cannot always please everyone. And if I did, I would think, you know, I'm too much of a chameleon. I obviously don't stand for anything yep. if I'm pleasing everyone at once. So. Exactly. <laughs> but it exactly. also draws a huge positive community of followers who love what you do and will hail everything. I mean, you are putting a really contemporary, beautiful spin that does make Aboriginal art accessible to a whole new market who maybe yeah. weren't as engaged in artwork generally 
until now, yeah. which is also really exciting. And I think one of the things that I loved learning about First Nations culture is that idea of ownership over stories, which I never understood until we were walking for like literally 12 hours a day and there'd be parts of mm -hmm. the land where our guides would say, this is not our family's land, so I can't actually tell you anything about where we are. And I'm sort of like, yeah. mate, I've come all the way out here. I want to know the significance of what that creek means. Like, tell me, yeah. you know. And it was so interesting to be immersed in just a different way of thinking. Like, you don't need to know yeah. the answer. You can appreciate yeah. the creek without knowing everything that's Googleable about this place of the earth. I can't yeah. tell you that it's not mine to tell. And yeah, it made me reflect, like, what else isn't mine to tell? How much information do I kind of assume and then regurgitate as freely available because the information age makes everything available. I love that there are women's business stories that men can't tell or even know and men's business yeah. stories that they could share among each other but not tell us. It was just yeah, such a, an awakening. Yeah, and I think it takes kind of, you know, we expect people to just know and do better but for a lot of people they have no experience with First Nations people and or they choose to ignore those experiences. But it's, you know, the reality is we're all kind of here in Australia in a pandemic and we can't, you know, mm. travel overseas. But the reality is within Australia, we're a country of countries. We're a nation of nations. And, you yeah. know, you could go an hour down the road and cross three different countries and have three different customs and three different laws. But, you know, we don't choose to celebrate that uniqueness about Australia we kind of choose to plant it into this very token idea of you know art and like what art is and the sad reality is actually at the moment like we're choosing to be represented by someone or a nation that kind of has chosen to oppress us for a while and the sad reality is we still don't have autonomy over our own flag so like our Aboriginal flag is actually owned and controlled by a non-Indigenous company mm. and they're sending, you know, Aboriginal businesses cease and desist letters. And for me, like, it's things like that that you kind of like, you kind of, I know I've gone down a different path here, but it's like that reality that there's so much more work to do in that. And like Clothing the Gap do such a great job <gasps> of advocating for freeing the flag, but yeah. it's like you see these beautiful things on experiences like what you've gone on and you wish other people could see that beauty. But what they see is this narrative of Australia continuing to yeah. oppress us. And that's why I think spokespeople like yourself are so important because it's, I think there are so many people who are curious enough to absorb the information. It's just often not delivered to them in a way that piques their interest enough to then go and look further. Whereas Absolutely. when someone like you has a, a platform like artwork to get people engaged and then once you've got their attention, then you can use it to actually yeah. spread a message. I think that's what's different about the way that you do things because you do hold yeah. people's attention. You're not just like, this is my message, come and listen to me and I'm going to pour things down your throat. It's like, here is my artwork, this is a conversation starter and when you're ready we yeah. can have a conversation about it, which is such a different approach. Yeah, and I think that's like comes back to being who I wanted to be when I was younger. Like yeah. I wanted that safe space and that access to learn more about my culture, to engage in it, to express myself. And, you know, there's still a lot of mob that reach out and say thank you for kind of doing what I do and that they feel safe and empowered enough to then go and explore their own identity through their own work. And that's why I love art. It's 
it's a way for us to all kind of like invest in that story in a way that, you know, it's kind of draws you in and then you can kind of feed information, you know, and I think that's the beautiful thing about getting our message across is we have so many different people telling our story different ways and in different kind of emotions and energies. And, you know, on one hand, we have like rappers singing about our you know, our <laughs> culture and, and then on the other, we have artists, we have actors. And I think I've just chosen art to be that vehicle for change. And there's so many different ways to do that. Oh my gosh. Well, you're doing such an incredible job. And that leads to the last section really nicely, Ooh. which is the idea that because you are so passionate about art and using it as the vehicle and the platform that you do, one thing I I talk about it a lot in the abstract, but I haven't actually sat down to ask an artist this question. Often when you find your joy and then you turn it into a job that has deadlines and expectations and then often you have to design to a brief and then like, you know, suddenly there's Uh money involved. (laughs) For some people that really impacts on the joy part of it for them. And the last section is called Play TA, which is firstly where we talk about stripping back your identity from working you and identifying the things that you love to do that aren't your work because even if you love your job, Mm -hmm. I feel like we need distance to stay fresh and like have new ideas. Absolutely. But do you ever struggle as an artist with the difference between non-commissioned work that you just do for joy and then having to fit that passion within briefs and within deadlines and for anyone who's feeling compromised in their joy by having work expectations attached what do you recommend like I I think it's okay for some people to give themselves permission to not make it a job they can do it on the side you know how did you navigate that for yourself I think the for me the benefit is I have a few different you know streams of my business and I have the commercial graphic designer artist side of things where I do work with clients and I work with, you know, businesses and corporates to develop an artwork, you know, that represents them and their values. I also have me as a person that can kind of be an advocate for things and, you know, but I guess one of my major outlets became a business, but it it is my personal works that I do sell as prints, you know, and Sometimes Mm. I go down that that brings me a lot of joy that I don't create as prints or as products. But I think it's that diversity of what my business does that allows me to still have joy. And if I'm not feeling 100% myself, then, you know, the public public events as me as an individual kind of, you know, aren't as prominent or I, I take a break from working on commercial work and focusing on just creating work that makes me feel joy and fills my cup and replenishes my energy but you know I think aside from art like just grounding yourself and being out in in nature and like it can be just a patch of sun in your backyard or you know just putting your feet in the sand or the salt water like those sorts of things I think you just need that diversity because diversity gives you different perspectives as well it gives Mm -hmm. you different viewpoints of how you want to tackle something and you know, when you have that separation, if you're getting down by something and you can't crack it, if you have that separation, you know, where you're in a completely different environment, maybe it is the, you know, the salt water or the sand or the mountains, you can kind of give yourself a bit more time and understand if actually it is worth it, if it's actually what's tied to your purpose, if it's tied to your values, or if you were kind of 
beating it against a wall. Like I think that separation allows you to stay on track with your values and and your values, I think, ultimately are the most important thing about joy. If you're not doing things that are tied to your values, then there's conflict and conflict is opposite to joy, in my opinion. Oh, yes. So true. <laughs> so true. And I think you're right. Like, yeah, this is why I say even if you do love your job, and you don't feel like you need a break, you still need one because that's when you have your breakthroughs. Like I can literally look back at all of my biggest ideas or aha moments and they've never been when I've been sitting at a desk trying to push through something that I just feel stuck on. It's always when I get up and walk away from that and I'm okay with allowing myself to like waste a little bit of time. That's not necessarily productive, but it is productive because it gives you space to then get that kind of fire back and I love that you know it's it's the activities for me that make me forget what time it is which means that I've forgotten what day it is which means I've forgotten my schedule which is the most important thing (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else you do like are you a Netflix binger are you like a puzzle person or like yeah what are your other kind of guilty pleasures that you would allow yourself just to waste time doing I'm definitely not a puzzle person because I designed a puzzle recently and everyone's (laughs) feedback has been it's so difficult (laughs) so I haven't actually completed the puzzle that I designed but I'm definitely a Netflix binger. Yes. I think like, that's what I do when I switch off at night. I just come in and watch Netflix. I'm up to the last season of New Girl, actually. Which, <gasps> oh, good. Um, I'm sad. I'm going to have to binge something else new. <laughs> but yeah, like just kind of separating and living a different reality, I guess, to what exists. Like psychologists might have a label for that, which isn't a very good thing, but I think for me and being a First Nations person whose culture is so connected to their business, like it's very difficult to escape the reality of the fight that we're fighting. And, you know, every day you can open up social media and intend not to work, but something because of my work being so connected to my culture, I'm invested in, you know, that fight and that outcome. And so for me, it's kind of switching off technology for a few moments a day and kind of turning on a different technology like Netflix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but kind of just like, <laughs> wow, I'm reflecting on myself now. I've got very bad habits. No, <laughs> <laughs> no they sound like amazing habits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think it's just like surrounding yourself with people that allow you to feel safe without critiquing every moment but then also surrounding yourself with you know like mind-numbing activities where you can just switch off and be a little bit like floating in air and time yes oh my god it's floating that's why I like describe them as what makes you forget what time it is because otherwise you're never suspended in time you're always so aware of what time it is and where that is in the schedule of life but like some things that allow you to just be like where am I? When am I? I'm like, that's good for the soul. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, just to finish up, second last question is Mm -hmm. what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Like weird party tricks or habits or also was that your dog? Yes, (laughs) Franklin. Oh, Franklin. Oh my God. 
fish. He's so cute. He's got his like little grandpa jacket on at the moment, trying to stay warm. <laughs> three, what was the question again? It's just like three quirky things about you that don't normally come up in interviews. So like if someone was living with you, only they would know oh, the weird gosh. like habits you have. It's like just to break down the, you know, show the human oh. side of people. <laughs> Do you snore? Are you allergic to things? I am an absolute mess of a human. (laughs) But I'm putting it down to the fact like I'm currently at mom and dad's house because I'm like building my house. But I had planned to like build my business at the same time that I'd move into my house. And then COVID has like restrictions. So I'm like, got. I'm so messy. You're a creative. You're allowed. I... I I'm going to use that as an excuse, but like it gets to the point where I'm like, I'm drowning in mess and I'm like, this is not conducive to like creative energy. (laughs) So I'm definitely a messy person, which is not great. I am not allergic to anything, but I I do suffer crippling migraines, which is an awful thing to mention. (laughs) Yeah. I get like migraine auras where like basically just lose my vision, <gasps> have to go into a dark room. Wow. Yeah, that can be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Wow. Really uplifting, um, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Back to the nay section. Yeah. <laughs> We've just regressed a whole section. <laughs> what percentage of people call you Sarah? Oh. A lot. I have at least 10 emails in my inbox right now that's like, hey, Sarah. And I'm like, (laughs) it's really bad because like all of my branding is Sarah, obviously, like S-A-R-R-A. But then all of your what? Sorry, it just cut out. Is like S-A-R-R-A. But then people will still email me and be like, hey, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And I'm like, (laughs) why did I do this to myself? (laughs) I'm, I'm be- like at least if you're gonna call you Sarah spell it S-A-R-R-A exactly so yeah I guess basically that's really good for someone who studied branding as a career and can't brand themselves <laughs> <laughs> do as I Same, say not, not I what do. I do exactly. <laughs> exactly and on that note other than that quote, <laughs> what is your actual favorite quote? Oh, okay. So when Jen sent me through this question, I was like, what is my favorite quote? And I have two. One is a little bit naughty. Amazing. Is there like a swearing rule on this podcast? Absolutely not. Okay. So one of my aunties, great aunties who had the best time, I still have one of her fur jackets. She used to say, fuck him in and fuck him out. And <laughs> I don't exactly know what she meant by that, but I feel like it's a quote that you can kind of use at any situation and justify the outcome that you want. So like I, I kind of <laughs> just use that one as a go-to a lot of the time. <laughs> That's great. It's just like no one knows what it means, but you can use it anytime exactly. you like. <laughs> am I wise or am I true? you never know uh, who could exactly. say bit of both and then the other one which is probably more serious is and one that I kind of had to come to terms with a while is if you're not going to ask someone for advice then don't be so open or overthink their criticism which <gasps> I love that I feel one. like we kind of touched on that earlier in the podcast but yeah I feel like it's so relevant to kind of stay on track and 
to understand who has agency over what you're putting out and who doesn't. Oh, totally. Another one I like on that is don't ask advice from people who don't have to suffer the consequences. Yes. Like everyone has an opinion when it doesn't actually Second. affect them, which way you decide. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, yeah, oh. about reclaiming our, our energy and our agency and spaces, both of them. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, you are so wise and wonderful. Oh. Thank you so much for sharing and jumping on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'll make sure to include links to all your fabulous work and everything you do in the show notes. Thank you so much, lovely. Thanks, sir. Every single time I see one of Rachel's works, I smile. The colors and shapes just bring me so much joy. Please go and check out her work, her art. Her Instagram is at sar.ra2 underscores, although do not be mistaken, her name is not Sarah or Sarah. <laughs> and give her some love and a shout out if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll also include links to our exciting Matrix ambassadorship and all the wonderful things they're doing for beauty, diversity and inclusion. Very, very proud to be on board alongside Rach, Jess Vandalay and AJ Clementine. I hope you guys are all otherwise having a wonderful week and a seizing your yay.